Hey everyone, Eric Graney here, and welcome to the 48th episode of the RIT Podcast. On Monday, voters in two ridings in New Brunswick will be heading to the polls in a provincial by-election that is not without its fair share of drama. The two seats are neighboring ridings in the Miramichi area. They're southwest Miramichi Bay de Vain and Miramichi Bay Neguac. The vacancies came after the MLAs both quit provincial politics to run in last year's federal election. But there's not just a couple of by-elections going on in New Brunswick. There's been drama surrounding the People's Alliance. There's a leadership race for the opposition Liberals, and the NDP this week is without a leader themselves. It's also without seats. So there's lots to go over. And today I'm joined by Jacques Poitra, provincial affairs reporter for the CBC New Brunswick and author of The Right Fight, essential reading for anyone interested in the politics in the province in the last decades of the 20th century. Hey, Jacques. Thanks so much for joining me. My pleasure. Thanks so, for the plug. Yeah, well, it's a great book. Um, there's these by-elections coming up. And, you know, I haven't had a chance to really delve into New Brunswick politics in a little while. So I think we first should start with what happened with the People's Alliance. This is a party in New Brunswick that um, has had a pretty big impact on the last two uh, election campaigns and now might be disappearing, might be reappearing. What's going on with the People's Alliance? Yeah, and and relevant to these by-elections is that they came within 35 votes of winning one of these ridings in 2018. And um, in the other riding, their vote count may have cost the PCs the win uh, in 2020. So they're, they're, it's definitely relevant to talk about them while these by-elections are going on. Uh, so they were a populist party that was created about a decade ago, and they had their big breakthrough in uh, 2018 when they won three seats, and they held the balance of power when when Blaine Higgs formed a minority government. And um, in a really kind of astounding development in uh, the end of March, the two surviving Alliance MLAs from the 2020 election, including the leader and founder of the party, Chris Austin, uh, crossed the floor to join the PCs. So PCs have a majority by now, but they um, and, and they not only quit the party, but Chris Austin under New Brunswick elections law actually had the power to deregister the party, to you know sign it out of official existence in the eyes of elections in New Brunswick. And that had consequences for um, the money they had in the bank and and various other whether they appear on a ballot and so on. So um, he he didn't just you know um, close the barn door behind him. He kind of set fire to the barn. Um, so this was this was relevant as I just mentioned in these by elections because um, you know they they've been a factor uh, even though they haven't won either of those ridings. Uh, so. What, what then happened is a few people um, from the party board got together and decided to reconstitute the party. So they had to uh, go through various electoral law hoops and the party has been re-registered now. So it exists, it, it has candidates uh, on the ballot. It has a, a, a leader in place uh, who was chosen at a, a small convention a few weeks ago. Uh, and actually, he was the third MLA elected in 2018. And he lost in 2020. So he's he's back on the scene as the leader without a seat in the House. Um, so that's that's where they that's where they stand. I mean, in one way, it was kind of a classic Canadian political story in our system where, uh, you know, a party uh, on the margins or an elected member or two on the margins kind of realize that they can maybe have a bit more clout if they're in a mainstream party that can hold power or that is holding power. And, and that's what they, uh, that's what they decided. So that's, that's the Alliance. That's where things are at with them uh, uh, as we head into these by-elections. 
It's a little bit reminiscent of what happened with Wild Rose ahead of uh, the Alberta election back in 2015. Daniel Smith and her party pretty much wholesale joined Jim Prentice in the PCs, and then they were all more or less defeated yeah. in the next election. How did that go for them? <laughs> not pretty well, yes. but the difference being Higgs here at least is not heading to an election in the next couple of months, except for these by-elections. That's right. And the other difference, of course, is that uh, at one point it looked like Wild Rose was actually going to win uh, the previous election, and, and they didn't. And uh, th there was never any possibility of the alliance doing that. But nonetheless, yes, the sort of a, a mainstream PC party and then another party on the right, um, less mainstream, uh, you know, was kind of uh, nibbling at their lunch. And then in this maneuver in March, you know, Blaine Higgs basically uh, or seem to have eliminated them as a as an electoral factor, as an electoral threat. So this will be a bit of a test to see what happens with the People's Alliance, because they do have candidates in these two ridings. As you mentioned, this is an area of Miramichi where the party has had some success in the past. So we have two by-elections uh, in southwest Miramichi Bay Duvin and Miramichi Bay Neguac. Uh, tell us a little bit about these two. Well, they're both uh, interesting writings. There, there's some similarities and some differences. Both have, um, both are majority Anglophone writings with, I would say, significant Francophone populations. And the reason I bring that up is because in New Brunswick, uh, ling language plays into political dynamic often, especially in these writings that have these um, somewhat mixed population um, populations. When the riding was created in the last uh, boundary redistricting, uh, Anglophones were 57% in Miramichi Bay Negoac and Francophones were 36%. So that's a pretty solid chunk of the vote. And in most elections, um, let's, let's stick with that writing for a minute. In most elections, um, that 36% Francophone vote has kind of been an insurance policy for the Liberals. The PCs have wanted at times when there have been you know, kind of uh, PC sweeps or real wave elections, but generally it's been a good insurance policy uh, for the liberals um, because that vote tends to go liberal. Uh, and then in the other, in the other riding, uh, Southwest Miramichi Bay Devin, uh, Anglophone share of the vote is much larger. Um, it has voted liberal in the past, but has been solidly PC now for four elections. Um, and if I can just zoom out for a second with a bit of history, I mean, generally, yeah. for most of the 20th century, you know, the, Francophones tended to vote liberal in New Brunswick, Anglophones tended to vote PC with some exceptions. What happened over the last 30 or 40 years is we saw a couple of PC leaders really try to bring Francophones into the PC party and, 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 and make the party competitive in those ridings. And the Liberals would win in, in Anglophone areas at times as well, uh, you know, including when Frank McKenna won all the seats in the legislature. But uh, must have included some Anglophone ridings. For when you sure, you'd think, yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, for, 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 you know, 15 or 20 years ago, both parties were fishing in both pools. And there's a lot of analysis of what happened over the last couple of elections, but things tended to repolarize back to the way things had looked in the 20th century for most of the 20th century, which is that uh, Francophones were voting overwhelmingly liberal and their caucus was overwhelmingly from Francophone writings. Um, PCs were, you know, were getting the overwhelming majority of Anglophone votes. Uh, the liberal vote was very inefficient where it existed in English New Brunswick and the PC caucus was overwhelmingly English. And, uh, you know, just as a personal observation, I don't think it's 
healthy when these two mainstream parties, uh, when, when voters don't see themselves reflected in these two mainstream parties, because it means that someone's being taken for granted for their votes. So that's why uh, these by-elections are significant in part. Uh, in Miramichi Bay Negawak, the PCs have recruited uh, a former MLA who was elected in one of these wave elections, Régent Savoie, who's uh, Acadian from uh, Negawak. And um, so they've been quite strategic. It's qu quite a chess move because that is where they would be weaker. It's where the liberals would tend to be stronger. That was their, that area was their insurance policy. So the, uh, the PCs are really kind of going into that liberal turf and trying to, to win it with, uh, with Savoie. Um, in, uh, in the other riding in Southwest Bay, uh, Southwest Mir Miramichi Bay de Venn, um, the, uh, you know, both of the, uh, both of the candidates are Anglophone from what's called upriver, up, up, upper Miramichi. And um, we'll see how competitive that is. That, that may be more prone to just kind of stick with the, the recent pattern of PC wins. But um, if the PCs were to win, Miramichi Bay Negawak, it would be a big deal because they only have one Francophone MLA in their caucus. So they would be doubling the Francophone representation in their caucus and um, maybe putting a putting to rest a lot of the the issues that Blaine Higgs has had with Francophone New Brunswick, which we, we can get into if you want. Yeah, well, what is the expectation here? Because as you mentioned in, in, in uh, Southwest Miramichi, maybe not going to be that competitive as much as, you know, the other riding. Uh, but the polls that I've seen in New Brunswick are not suggesting that Blaine Higgs and the PCs are terribly popular either, right? So uh, winning something in this case, being an incumbent government whose numbers aren't terrible, but they're not great either, would seem to be a good thing. Is it something that is likely, or at least is the expectation that it is something that could actually happen? They can win that liberal seat away. Well, uh, I don't do modeling, as you know, but, uh, <laughs> and I will say about the other writing, you know, uh, you're, I mean, I said it and you said it, that the traditional pattern might assert itself there, but um, the liberal candidates, a, a seasoned uh, organizer, Hannah Fulton Johnson, uh, she's from Doketown, which is kind of the heart of uh, conservative territory in that riding. You never know what could happen there. She's got a former People's Alliance candidate. Uh, supporting her, uh, who's from Doketown. So it's largely because she's from Doketown. But nonetheless, um, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't rule anything out, I guess. Mm. Um, but, um, uh, but, and sorry, what, so getting back to your question about Miramichi Bay Negawak, what was it again? Like how? Yeah, well, just the idea that the PCs would like to take away this liberal seat. Yeah. But for looking at yeah. where they are in the polls, it's kind of neck and neck between the two parties province wide. Yeah, that's right. You would know better than I, but I think by-elections can can buck those trends. Mm -hmm. um, you know, um, this is a riding that, uh, you know, could decide that they will lend the riding, the seat to the PCs for a, a couple of years to because, you know, they, they know who's in government for the next two years. So they may decide it's to their advantage in very practical terms to um, to vote PC. So the the the. Um, the prospect of the PCs winning both seats, um, including the one that they didn't hold going in, is uh, is an interesting scenario, and a lot of people are talking about it. The PCs are bullish on it; they're not, you know, they're not dunking, but um, uh, they are. They feel they can squeak it out. Now, of course, the Liberals would say otherwise, and the Greens think that they have a shot. Uh, they think they have a shot at making this uh, a three-way race. I'm not yeah, sure that's that. something to talk about. The Greens in New Brunswick have a few seats. Uh, they're right. usually third they in the three. polls. Uh, right. So they are also a factor as well, although this area is not one of the ones where they've had the most strength. 
That's right, it's not. They've got a candidate, uh, Chad Duplessis, who is a uh, Miramichi city councilor. There's a portion of that riding that, that is in the city of Miramichi. And, uh, you know, so as a as a municipal councilor, he's he's got some profile. And um, and this is one of the things that that is has been behind the Greens relative success in New Brunswick is that they have found it increasingly easy to recruit candidates who have some profile. You know, they're not nobodies. They're people who have a track record in the community in some way. So um, I don't know whether they'll pull it off really, but um, uh, but they're they're in the race and they're campaigning hard. Uh, ran into uh, one of the incumbent, uh, one of the green MLAs today, uh, Kevin Arsenault, who was campaigning with Chad Duplessis. So they are, uh, they're in it. And uh, so I won't make a prediction, but I will say that that that's the by-election uh, of the two that, well, that's where I'm going to be uh, next Monday night, put it that way. For the PCs and Blaine Higgs in particular. So they hope to have a good performance here. Maybe they can win two for two or put up a fight. How, what does it mean for the PCs going forward? Because Higgs has now been in power for four years. Um, the next election is not for another two years. So he's starting to get to a six-year term. Is... Does Higgs need some good news for his own personal leadership? Does he need, does the party need some good news for someone to want to take over after if he decided to step aside? What's the future for the PCs right now? Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think it would be an enormous boost if, uh, if the PCs won it. So we had that Angus Reid poll a few days ago that um, had Higgs uh, among the least popular premiers in, in, the, in the country with 33% approval rating, I think it was. You can correct me on that. And then uh, narrative research, which is sort of the go-to polling in uh, Atlantic Canada, they had um, in their last poll uh, last month, they had dissatisfaction at 52%, satisfaction at 40%. So that's not great. They had um, the Liberals and the PCs tied in voting intention. And they had Higgs and the interim Liberal leader and the Green Party leader all within the margin of error on preferred uh, uh, preferred premier. So those are not great numbers for, uh, for Blaine Higgs. Plus he had, you know, he had this huge dip in the polls last November after the uh, early lifting of mask requirements and other COVID me- measures. We saw this spike in cases and, and his numbers just tanked. They've come back up since then, but they're not back to the lead he had. Um, plus we've got, you know, inflation in general, that sort of general uh, issue that's just kind of feeding kind of voter irritation at, yeah. at best. Um, and the liberals in question period in, in the legislature in the last uh, few weeks have been quite effective at hammering that issue. And uh, and the government eventually did uh, come up with some some measures to try to help. Uh, and um, and, uh, you know, just there's just sort of like a cantankerous mood like we've seen elsewhere. So you know, it's, it's the, the numbers haven't been disastrous for Higgs, but they haven't been great. And there were grumblings in his caucus last fall that like, you know, uh, when's this guy going to go and should, should he go soon or should he go later? So I think um, a by-election win, especially with a Francophone member, a new Francophone member would really put that to rest at least for a while. Now uh, he, um, He's, it, that doesn't change the fact that, you know, he will be, he would be 70 years old in the next provincial election in 2024. He will have to decide eventually whether to, to stick around and, and seek another term at age 70. Um, uh, you know, Joe Biden would call him young, I guess. But um, 
but but that decision is coming and there are some progressive conservatives who think that you know he needs to signal that um not imminently but um you know maybe early 2023 at the latest because there are concerns in the party that uh if he waits too late too close to the next election we get into a you know a john turner or kim campbell scenario where um uh where a new leader doesn't really is sort of stuck with the baggage of of the previous uh premier and uh and uh, takes the party down to defeat so that's a that's a concern is there a risk for the pigs if these by-elections go badly well, I mean, again, the polling's not great. There was sort of grumbling in the caucus already. The COVID thing last fall was a real blow because he'd, he'd kind of been he'd kind of been coasting on good management of COVID up until that point. Uh, so yeah, if if I mean, I think status quo would would be status quo. Mm. Uh, if the PCs lost both both of them, uh, then we might see some. The grumbling uh, get a little louder, but um, uh, the stars I think would really have to align for the Liberals to win both, or for the Liberals to win one and the Greens to win one. Well, then let's talk about the Liberals. Um, so opposition now, Kevin Vickers was the leader in the last election. It didn't go particularly well for the Liberals in that campaign. Um, there's they're in the midst of a leadership race. So what's the field, and and you know what's the betting money right now? <laughs> well. There's, Not um, that we encourage there, political betting. We don't. No, we don't. No, we don't. Um, the uh, There are four candidates. There's um, TJ Harvey, who's a former liberal MP, re- represented uh, uh, Tobik Maktaquak, which is generally trans conservative. He won it in 2015. So a lot of people say, well, you you know, you, you won a conservative riding. Uh, of course, he won it in the Trudeau wave. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure if that's a measure of him or something else. Um but he decided not to seek a second term in 2019, and now he's back in politics. There's uh, Donald Arsenault, who's a former Liberal cabinet minister provincially. There's Susan Holt, who um, has never held elective office, but worked for Premier Brian Gallant and ran for the party um, in uh, in 2018 and, and lost to the Green Party leader in Fredericton. Uh, and then there's Robert Gauvin, who's kind of the interesting plot line in that because he was a PC cabinet minister, and he's the son of a Acadian political PC icon from the Hatfield era. Um, and he was elected in 2018, Higgs's only Francophone MLA at that time. And then because of a ill-fated plan to change some uh, rural hospital hours, uh, he quit the PC caucus, became a liberal, ran for the liberals, got elected, and is now running for the liberal leadership. So I don't know if you've ever done run any data on this phenomenon, but um, you know someone who was uh, a member of a PC cabinet two and a half years ago is now a liberal leadership candidate. Do you have any numbers that predict how often that can happen? <laughs> I mean, you'd have to think about it. What was, what was the path with Scott Bryson? Did he not run at some point? He didn't win. Although I do think, if I remember correctly, uh, Nancy Macbeth in Alberta. She had been mm-hmm. a cabinet minister, mm-hmm. I believe, in the Ralph Klein governments and eventually ran the Alberta Liberals out there. But yeah, then there was Paul, Paul Hellyer in the distant past yes. who kind of ran for several parties. And see, the um, common thread, but, though, but, between all of these are that none of them became premiers or prime ministers. So, right. <laughs> maybe that's now, not good news, for, uh, Robert Gauvin. I always say that a floor crosser's 
value to the party they are crossing to is never higher than on the day they cross. Um, they are the, the they are the king at that time or the queen, as the case may be. But but will liberals want to vote for someone who was that recently a progressive conservative? That's the question. So anyhow, they, the liberals are using a, a preferential ballot. Um, they have a weighted system by riding, uh, similar to the, the federal uh, conservatives and what they're going through now. So, um, you know, the, the candidates have to compete in all parts of the province for votes here and there and try to get a percentage of the votes in this riding and that riding to get points. So it's hard to say what's going to happen. I mean, everybody is talking about, uh, of course, as, as always happens in these kinds of preferential ballot races, what's what's the second the second round strategy for every candidate? You know, who are they trying to to win over? Who are they? Whose second choice do they want to be? Or the who are the people voting for which candidate who they want to be the second choice for? Right. Um, and there's all kinds of scenarios. Um, the the consensus seems to be that TJ Harvey, who got in early and snapped up a lot of endorsements and organizers, is probably in an advantageous position. But does he get to 50% of the points on the first ballot? And if he falls short, um, does does someone else win it as a result? Um, I don't think he's in a Pierre Poiliev position where there's a lot of you know, stop, stop him kind of sentiment. So it may well be that he doesn't get to 50%, but a lot of people like him and have him as their second choice. And he easily goes over the top on the second round. Are you expecting um, that the divide is going to be the same kind of linguistic divide? Because you have two, uh, I guess, Acadian candidates and two that are from uh, English, or New Brunswick, or is it more of a left-right kind of thing within the party? Uh, it's, there's not really, you know, they haven't really been fighting over policy. I did a story asking them what their plan was to maybe try to win some support from green voters, because that's really been the liberals problem uh, the last couple of elections. And there really wasn't a definitive answer. No one sort of tilted tilted green the way, you know, Justin Trudeau did, for example, to, to grab progressive voters on, on climate policy. Um, so, um, no, I mean, it was, it's, it's, they, 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 they tend to, uh, all be talking about, uh, renewal and, um, and, um, and bringing the party back. Um, so it's, it's, it's hard to predict there, um, there are four candidates who have some stature, but who aren't necessarily stars either. Um, and, uh, we'll see what happens. How are they going to, how is the party setting itself up against the PCs in the next election? And because I guess one well, of the this, yeah. factors this is they is, don't know who, who they're going to be up against, maybe. Yeah, that's right. So we, we I mean, I talked about this by-election choice of candidates being a bit of a chess game with uh, the PCs going into liberal territory to recruit their candidate. And of course, um, the liberals don't know who they're counter-programming against because, uh, again, the PCs have tended to be strong in English New Brunswick lately, liberals in French New Brunswick. So if the liberals are going to be facing Blaine Higgs in the next election, who, you know, has had a bad reputation among Francophones, uh, they might pick a TJ Harvey who can go into PC ridings and, and contest them. Uh, if, however, uh, Higgs retires and the PCs pick uh, Daniel Alain as their new leader. He's a cabinet minister from Moncton, the only Francophone currently in the caucus and uh, and a very good kind of folksy uh, retail politician. Well, if, if the PCs pick him uh, and 
the liberals have a T.J. Harvey, maybe some Francophone writings start to think, well, we're being, you know, taken for granted by the liberals and this Daniela Lang guy, uh, it doesn't seem so bad. I mean, Daniela Lang has just piloted this major local government reform through the legislature and in the process has been to every town and village in every part of New Brunswick, including Francophone New Brunswick. So he's got a lot of, he's got a good network in place. Um, do you so, think that you know, was deliberate you, or just a happy well, coincidence? I'm sure it was all policy driven, Eric. It always is. But uh, but Alain's a, an effective communicator, effective politician. And um, it's it's not impossible to imagine the liberals going with someone that they think would beat Higgs and then and then something different happening. So then how do, but, but the liberals can't know. They just can't know who it's going to be. Because if it was if it were Alain, they might pick someone else. Oh, that's a dilemma. And they don't have a timeshare. It is. So. It is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So that you sort of like, no, you go first. No, you go first. Yeah. Yeah. OK. So while well, they do know that, you know, David Kuhn will presumably still be the green leader in uh, for the next election. He's, uh, you know, been able to win his seat, done well for the Greens. But the other factor is just because it's uh, recent news for the New Democrats. Uh, now, this is not a party that has had a lot of success in New Brunswick. I believe the last time they won a seat was in 2003. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, and so, they had 1.6% of the popular vote in the last provincial election. Right, which is uh, not particularly high. So uh, Mackenzie Thomason was the leader. He was the interim leader. He had to come in and then they made him permanent because I guess they needed someone in there. He was at the debate and, you know, he he was in that campaign. But there's been like a lot of drama for a party that had, as you said, 1.6% of the vote and no seats. Yeah, um, it's... it's um... It's a real conundrum for New Democrats, uh, the few that remain, because uh, they have really struggled. They've gone through a number of leaders. They've had leadership races where no one was interested, where most of the candidates were disqualified and someone was acclaimed. You know, Thomason, uh, then because of COVID, things, their, their leadership process was, was thrown into disarray so that Thomason actually had to lead the party into the last election as the interim leader. Um, and uh, did very poorly in the riding. He ran in 1.6% of the popular vote. What's really happening here is that the Greens have, have taken up all the oxygen on the left in New Brunswick and have actually succeeded beyond what the NDP ever achieved because they've got three seats. Um, but what, and, and it's, a, it's a long story and a lot of dynamics about how we got to this point, but a lot of former New Democrats, sort of middle of the road New Democrats, what I might call Saskatchewan New Democrats, um, uh, went to went to the Greens and are solid Green supporters. And, um, and you know, now, of course, the Greens have got a caucus. They've got a caucus budget. They've got staff. They've got resources. They make videos about, you know, the Green Week at the legislature. Here's what we did. Here are the bills we introduced. Here's how we voted. Um, they get some public funding in the per vote formula in New Brunswick. Whereas the NDP uh, has no seats, hasn't had a seat since, you know, in almost two decades, uh, their per vote subsidy is is uh, almost nothing, and um, and I don't I don't I don't know what their solution is. I mean, it's hard to imagine them disappearing. Although they were late again with their um, with their filings with Elections New Brunswick, their financial filings, and that's you know they they can be deregistered for for missing too many of those deadlines. So. I'm not sure what they're going to do. It's hard to imagine a party that, you know, essentially holds the balance of power at the federal level in Ottawa vanishing from the map, uh, from, from the ballot in New Brunswick. But um, uh, it's, it is a difficult 
difficult situation for them. And, and as, as long as the greens are there and sort of continue to enjoy that virtuous cycle of, you know, winning leads to publicity and resources leads to more winning. Um, it's, it's going to be tough for the NDP. Maybe the new Democrats out in uh, the Maritimes are to uh, what the liberals are in Western Canada and uh, Alberta and Saskatchewan. They're non-existent anymore. They're parties that get uh, 1% of the vote if things are lucky for them. So maybe that's uh that's a future well, I mean, for the NDP. At one point, Mackenzie Thomason uh, offered to run sort of unity candidates in these by-elections. You know, he said, well, if we, if the Liberals, Greens and NDP can agree, we'll, uh, we'll just run a single candidate to try to beat the PCs. But then he said, but, but, but the candidate can't be a Liberal. Um, <laughs> he didn't exactly have a lot of bargaining power to, uh, to insist on that. Um, and in the end, they failed to get candidates nominated in these by-elections. So that's, you know, that's that's not great. Well, that brings me to my closing question, and we can finish it off on this. So going back to the by-elections, uh, you know, the People's Alliance is going to be there. The NDP, as you said, doesn't have a candidate. Uh, but if we end up uh, at the end of these uh, by-elections, the results come in, the PCs are able to win one or both, and the People's Alliance vote is not really all that imp- important and there's a big divide again on the Liberals and the Greens. What does it say for New Brunswick politics going forward? Because you do have, you know, with the People's Alliance, maybe not as much of a going concern, the PCs being a lot stronger. And you have this divide that's on the, on the left that didn't exist before, you know, 2014. Uh, where, where do politics in New Brunswick go, go from here over the next couple of years? Well, I think... I mean, if all those things happen, and I'm not predicting they will, but if all those things happened, we'd have a strange situation where the premier is not super popular, uh, not super loved, um, not totally um, the object of complete affection, even from some in his caucus, and yet in a relatively strong political position, you know, like relatively solid uh, with, uh, with very little threat from the alliance and uh, and let's you say a divided opposition. So um, yeah, it, like it, this is why I think it, you know if if they gain a seat uh, in Miramichi Negawak, it it's it's a real kind of watershed moment for this premier who's um, who's you know kind of kind of stumbled into power uh, through a confidence vote in the legislature in 2018 and then. Uh, picked up this this majority win, but not a not a landslide majority win uh, over COVID, and so this would really this might be the beginning of the post COVID Blaine Higgs era of the party, and uh, and he'd be going into that with a, uh, you know re- with a relatively good political position, and uh, the opposition will have to figure out what to do going forward because. Uh, it's been a couple of elections now where they haven't really been able to kind of get, build enough support and build enough momentum to knock off the PCs who, have you said, have not been, you're looking at the polling uh, over the last you know four years, have never or very rarely been a very popular party in the province. But because of that linguistic divide, because of the divide on the left, are in, as you said, a pretty strong electoral position. Yeah, and the one thing I'll add too about about that whole dynamic is that you know Justin Trudeau obviously made a very conscious choice, uh, 2014 2015 to tack left, right, and to to go after uh, you know some of the issues that have animated the NDP over the years, like electoral reform. We know how that turned out, uh, legalized cannabis, all these things, um, 
And in the liberals in New Brunswick uh, have not done that. I think they're more cautious. I think I think they see it as more of a risk. Uh, maybe it is a risk. Maybe they're overestimating the risk, but they they have yet to make any bold moves to go into sort of to try to get the, get that green uh, vote and that what's left of that NDP vote. So maybe we'll see something like that from the new leader or maybe we won't. But at the moment, things feel kind of kind of static in that regard. Well, we'll see if the by-elections on Monday are going to shake things up and maybe suddenly suddenly there'll be even more drama coming out in New Brunswick. So uh, Jacques, I really appreciate you taking the time uh, talking to me from Miramichi and uh, hope you uh, hope you enjoy your time there. Well, thank you. As a as a paying subscriber, I'm happy to, to join you. Thanks again to Jacques Poitra, Provincial Affairs Reporter for the CBC in New Brunswick and author of The Right Fight. Okay, that'll be it for this week. As always, don't forget to head to theritt.ca for all the latest from me. And remember, you can watch these podcast episodes on my YouTube channel. You can find it by searching for my name or you can find a link to it in the episode notes. All right, until next week, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.